And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Donna Dort Donna Dort Donna Dort This is Lee Dort and I'm Donna Dunk This is Lee Dort and I'm Donna Dort I'm Josh Giddy and I'm down to dunk Hey, this is Kenny Hustle and I'm down to dunk I'm Darius Baisley and I'm down to dunk I'm Mike Muscala and I'm down to dunk This is Poku and I'm down to dunk I love cereal. Captain Crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Cracklin' Oat Brand. Oh, I can have these? I'm going to share with my team, but I'm a hog most of them. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Slick. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me, as always, on Wednesdays, is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, what's up? What's up, Andrew? Are you enjoying the playoffs, Andrew? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? We get uh, a, we get a juicy Celtics Nets game tonight that I am quite excited about. You can listen to me recap it on the Daily Ding tonight with Law Marie. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, last night was fun. That Suns game kind of came out of nowhere. That that was pretty interesting. Um, the I so I. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to start exercising again. Oh, nice! And so I've been biking, and I'll bike for like a quarter, just to get started. You know, it's it's usually about thirty minutes. I start biking at the beginning of the uh, Grizzlies Timberwolves game, <laughs> and they just kept calling fouls, and I was like, I don't, I can't get to the end of this quarter if you guys keep calling all these fouls. But I I I, I came up with a solution. I want to see what you think about it. Because really, for me, the thing that bothers me, the foul calls are annoying enough, but it's really when they go to the monitor, like every two minutes. Okay, so what do you think about this? They can still go to the monitor as often as they want. As many times. Go as many times as you want. But every time you go to the monitor, the picture quality on the monitor gets worse. So if you're a ref and you want to make sure you get it right at the end of the game so that not, no one's talking about you, you better save it up because if you use them like they did in that game, by the end of the game, it's going to just look like snow. You're not you're going to be able to barely make out what's going on on the screen, and that'll be their fault. What I never understood is like if you have people in a separate location that you're talking to, why like why can't they just look at it and make a decision? Yeah, why can't they just be in the ear of the official and be like, "Hey, this is what happened. This is the call." move on i don't know it sucks though like it that the start of that game was miserable yeah it was one one for like (laughs) two minutes because and it was probably like 10 minutes of real time it was just so annoying and the fact that they're like checking every little thing like the fact that they checked uh the fact that they checked the steven adams slap oh my gosh who cares it that's the kind of stuff that is not great. 
about the NBA, <laughs> but however, we've got, we, we've got great stars in this league and the Grizzlies, you know, that guy, I wish that game was better, but like just seeing what Ja was able to do last night <clears throat> and like other rising stars like Brandon Ingram with the Pelicans. Oh my gosh. He was in, he was incredible. It's, it's just really fun to see these young guys rise up. Cause we're in the, we're in a, in a, section of the NBA timeline where we're hitting the end of the LeBron Steph Curry run and someone else is going to have to step up and take the league. Cause like right now it's a lot of team oriented basketball. I mean, like Giannis is, is definitely someone who's like a candidate to take the league. Jokic is, but I can tell Giannis and the Bucks are just like absolutely dominant. I, I, like, I don't know how many people are picking the Bucks to win the championship. You know, like we're just in this. Yeah. We're in a really sweet spot where there's young guys rising up. There's a lot of teams that could win it this year, and I think the hope for the NBA is that this is just kind of what the NBA is. However, there's always a team or a player or somebody that rises up, and it's like, oh my gosh, how are you ever going to beat them? You know that that always happens. Well, as an example of that, just as an illustration of how good the league is right now, um, I was I was talking to a listener, Dennis Todman, on Twitter. Yeah. He was the one that we had been talking about, the ESPN 25 under 25. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wonder what this looked like a few years ago. So I went back to the 2017. I just want to read you the top 25. Mm-hmm. So Anthony Davis, number one, pretty good so far. Giannis, number two. Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid. That was a top four. That's all great. Pretty good. Chris Stapps Porzingis at five over Jokic. But, you know, th- this was back in 2017. Porzingis is still a good player. Rudy Gobert, Kyrie Irving, Andre Drummond was number nine. Wow. Was at that time thought of as the ninth best player Drummond. who was under 25. Andre Drummond. Interesting. Number 10, Ben Simmons. 11, Andrew Wiggins. Jabari Parker. Miles Turner. Bradley Beal. D'Angelo Russell, Stephen Adams was sixteenth on the twenty-five under twenty-five. Now, even now, that was coming off of the twenty sixteen playoffs when he legitimately had a great playoffs and he looked was awesome. like he was awesome. a center, like like the the center of the future for the NBA. Yeah, N- not not like he was going to be you know Carl Anthony Towns or something like that, but just like here's a guy who can play in the modern NBA. Like that's how we felt oh, yeah. coming out of that 2016. Good passer, playoff. can score a little bit more than you think. There's always the the rumblings of he's going to shoot threes. Steven Adams is going right, to shoot right, threes, right. you know. Uh still, the fact that he was on this list, number 17, Devin Booker. Oh. Adam, Steven Adams was ranked ahead of him. Wow. Okay. Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine, Victor Oladipo, Brandon Ingram, Rodney Hood, Rodney Otto Hood. Porter, yeah. Thon McCurr. Oh my gosh. Was 24th, Julius Randle 25. Now, there's still a lot of good individual names on that, but you compare that, by the way. So this was Amin Al Hassan, Kevin Pelton, and David Thorpe. Looking at their looking at their 25th ranked players is always really funny because that's when you're like really wondering what you're doing. Yeah. Amin had Bismack Biombo. <laughs> Kevin Pelton had Tobias Harris. Okay, that's kind of justifiable. David Thorpe had Elford Payton. The point oh. the point is like if you look even go even going back to the mind of 2017, how we thought about those players, 
compare that to this year's list. And it's kind of hard to do because obviously you're going to be higher on the guys now because of recency bias. Yeah. But I just feel like the talent from one to 25 on that most recent list is so far beyond like even five years ago. Yeah. Obviously there were great guys on that list then, but like the list this year is just stacked and even like remove John Collins, put somebody else on there. Like I, I think John Collins is good. You can even remove Bain. Like I think there are other players that you like, could Jaylen, consider. Jalen Green wasn't on the list. Josh I don't think Franz Wagner was on the list. Yeah, Josh wasn't like, on the list. Like those three, yeah, should be those three should be on the list. Like let's it's just let's be clear. It is stacked right now with young talent, and it's only getting better. Like you, I, I, what, what podcast was I listening to just yesterday? Hmm. Um, I don't even know. They were talking about how just how much more skill is coming into the league. How oh what podcast was I listening to? I listened to freaking Sam Presti's press conference what podcast I was listening to. <laughs> Sam Presti said it. <laughs> you were listening to that three hour show. Yeah. Released like, by who some was that psycho? guy? He was talking about the draft. I don't think I had to listen to a draft pod yesterday. That was, was me that? sitting there waiting to get the audio on, <laughs> on pins and needles, trying to get the audio from that thing. Uh, well, that's a great segue. Uh, I just had a few thoughts on uh, Sam Presti's podcast, which Let's I didn't listen to all of. Good for you. I can Thank actually you tell much. you what percentage of people listen to the whole thing, which really? is kind of fun. It can't yeah, be very. It can't be very many because it's... look at look it up while I'm talking. Okay. I mean, by the last thirty minutes, I cranked it up to two times speed. When he yeah. when he got to recommending books, that's when I was hitting the so, skip forward. Yeah, that was. It, one, it was very much needed for for me personally because I had to pee so bad. Um, and then, um, however, like Barry asked him another question, I got another great answer after that too. So yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, okay. So first thing, I think uh, in terms of best quote to come out of it, I really liked the quote of "trying to fix things quickly takes a very long time." Yeah. That's a very short and easy, succinct way to explain something that we've been talking about for like two seasons now. Yeah, it's and it's a great way to explain this why the Sacramento Kings are the Sacramento Kings. It is. And in fact, I would love we need to talk to because you know I was kind of I, I wanted to be positive about the Sabonis trade. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. Um, and I know there are people who are still positive, but looking at like the criticisms of the Kings, like there was a great Sack B article that came out a few weeks ago, kind of talking about like what the the actual problem with the Kings is that they never just let something marinate. Right. And when they do let something marinate, it's always the wrong thing. It's like, <laughs> we're going to let Vlade stay for a really long time. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, we're changing coaches every single year. Right. right and right. I guess the thing I wonder is like, it it's becoming harder for me to not view that Halliburton for Sabonis trade in that same frame because it's like they sure. only gave De'Aaron Fox and Halliburton they, they they got this amazing gift of Halliburton dropping in that draft and they only gave that pairing a year and a half and even less than that when you factor in injuries yeah and then immediately made a move and top even five if player I in that draft I mean like, right yeah and so as I've been just thinking about that trade more it's like I want to believe in the Kings just because I like their fan base but I'm starting to look at that trade more as like, how is this not just another example of everything the Kings have done? Mm-hmm. Like, because they don't get the benefit of the doubt. And so like, it's, it's hard not to. Anyways, I really liked that quote. Whether it's true or not, I mean, I'm sure there are, t- I mean, you know, 
I think the difference is like a team like the Raptors obviously tried to fix things quickly by trading for Kawhi, but that's more of like a final piece. Yeah. Same thing with like the Suns. Like a lot of the examples you could think of where a team did fix things quickly, made a huge jump, is about them adding a final piece mm-hmm. or a team that can attract like massive free agents yeah. in one summer. Yeah. Um, so I like that. Uh, so I think the biggest quote, or, or like the biggest statement that got people talking was when he said, if the Thunder gets to the point next season where they're not playing games of consequence, they're going to shift to development again. Yeah. yeah. Which again is one of those quotes where you can kind of make it whatever you want it to be. Uh-huh. And my response to that was like, I wish there had been two follow-up questions. The first is what is a game of consequence? Because like if this team is two games out of the 10th seed in February, are those games of consequence? Because I think no. for a lot of the fan base, they would be. No. But I have a feeling they're not. I can answer. And I, fe- I can answer that question for you. No. And so what is it? Like, what is the bar, which I don't even know if he would admit or if, if he would actually He's not going to tell, tell you. I don't think is. he would tell us what the bar is, but I think the bar is like you're in the playoffs. Like you're the sixth seed. You're the five seed. It would be hard though. Like if they're in the eighth seed and it's this year where they have like a two game lead on the ninth seed or something like that, it's going to be hard for them not to keep going. If if we're in like February with that, yeah, we'll see. So so basically, I just I'm just trying to it figure out. It like, depends on how far the away line. the other teams are too. Like how far right. the teams behind you are. Yeah, how far you could drop. Yeah, I mean if if you're if you're ten games up on the 11th seed then yeah you're not you can't you can't you can't pull the rip cord because you'll just fall to nine or ten you know yeah but if you're a game and a half away from 11 or 12 then it's like all right let's go <laughs> you know are these are these really the games you want because if if the result is the thunder wind up at nine and they lose in the play-in, and it's, and you're just like, crap! Like we just got a really terrible lottery pick to play one game that we lost, <laughs> you know? Right. Like you have to, and you have, yeah, you have to see like how competitive are we versus the other teams that are in the play-in range, you know? And, and why I think it's good like differentiating or, or defining what a game of consequence is is because I think that means a lot of different things to a lot of different thunder fans uh, absolutely it will i think pe- i think that there will be people that are that would be mad if they are near the play-in range and they pull the ripcord or shot pull, pull right. the levers and it's like wait a minute like what are we doing and the i mean the answer is like what are we doing is we're trying to actually make the franchise really good for the future understanding that this current team has a ceiling and it it will depend so so much on what they get with their own pick and what they get with the clippers pick in this upcoming draft so it's really hard to even answer the questions right now like if they were to get chet and then somebody else really good at 12 then it's and and those guys along with shay and giddy are pulling your team up yeah then you're like you know what that's where you're like, okay, let it ride. If it's Mike Muscala hitting like five buzzer beaters and you're in, I think you have to like evaluate, okay, like what what are we? So I think it's also like circumstantial where it's like 
Chet Holmgren's averaging 17, 7, and 3. And he's the like front runner for rookie of the year. And the Thunder are like the calves of this past season. Then it's like a no brainer. Like, let's go. But if it's Keegan Murray averaging 12 points, you know, you're just like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't know. I think that the, <laughs> I think that the ceiling, the ceilings are obviously very different with those two. And, yeah, I think not only do you have to evaluate it based on where they are in the standings, but like, what do you th- what do you actually think of the team, mm-hmm. and who is pulling the team up? Is it the young guys? Well, then we don't have a choice. We have to go for it. If it's your role players, it's like, uh, okay, it's time to time to time to sit down again, you know. And then the other part of that statement was if they're not playing games of consequences, they're going to shift to development again. Mm-hmm. And I think most people read that as the shift to development this year was those last five games, mm-hmm. which like, I just don't think that was development. Like playing Yorgos Kalzakis 45 minutes per yeah. game until he hobbles off the court. Like that didn't feel like development to me. And so I would have liked to known what he like what that actually like is is that coded language like we'll shift to tanking or is he talking about like a, a, a month prior when we started shifting to playing Poku more, Teo more, Roby more because that did feel like a shift to development yeah. whenever that happened like in March or February, but like what they did at the end of the year, like we can be honest about it, like it, it, that wasn't a shift to development. Most of those guys are never going to be on a court again. Even if you wanted to ve- develop someone like Yorgos, throwing him out there for 45 minutes with a bunch of other guys who are playing in the NBA for the first time, mm-hmm. like is that really the best developmental environment for Yorgos? I don't know. Yeah, he said he wished that he would have brought those guys in earlier, which would would have been great. Yeah, just to get a few extra minutes. Of- and it would have been great for those guys because they would have gotten to play with actual rotation players in the NBA. I mean, the best player those guys were playing with most of the time was Isaiah Roby. Yeah. Here's the thing. like, there, Even if you're playing Poku and Maladon and Trey or whoever else, there's not a whole lot of development going on in the last two weeks of the NBA anyways. There's not, but like for someone like Poku... I actually feel like that is a good opportunity because we so rarely, when everyone's healthy, get to see him in that point Poku role, which, you know, the chances of that working out are going to be like under 2%. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. That's that's part of what I'm saying is like that, like those moments are not going to make or break a career for somebody. In fact, it's like those are actually like the moments with like these small market, like tanking teams where you start to gain hope in things that, aren't real <laughs> but to be honest like that's the only thing we have to base our like most of our poku conversation is about how he's played in the second half of the season yeah mostly in games that have not mattered yeah but i mean a game in like february or like even mid-march like means a lot more than the games in you know early april they're just they just do like the end of the season like everybody's pulling rip cords. it's not just the thunder you know but dude, like what they did is far beyond what any other team did in the league. I know, and I'm really proud of them. I, and by the way, I'm, I'm not saying this as like I'm mad that they did it. Yeah, I I, I think I, they I did think the it, exact right thing. I think that the because if they won, 
I mean, there's a chance they could have won both games in L.A. With the teams that the Lakers and the Clippers put out there, they could have won both of those games. And that would have been detrimental to the franchise. Absolutely. I just, it's more about, let's just call it like it is. Like, I I actually liked his analogy of comparing it to September call-ups. Like, just just say, like, at the end of the season, we like to get a longer look at our G League guys. We're going to shift towards that. This whole idea that, like, we're shifting to development. We want to get a longer look. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. You, I mean, I just, he's just caught. I mean, the thing is like, Sam's not going to come out and say, Hey, we tanked the last few games because we want a better draft pick. But like, right. but we also all know that they tanked the last few games to get a better draft pick. Like you don't need to hear him say it to know what they did. I agree. But I just want fans to, to acknowledge what we did. That's it all. was great. It was one of my more proud moments as a Thunder observer. Um, I liked that he he talked about the value of continuity as a competitive advantage. And I think that was a, a good reframing of an issue that we've brought up a lot, which is like, oh, there's this trend of international players staying at the place they drafted longer than American-born players. It seems like he's targeting international players. Maybe that's the reason. We've already We've always been framing it as like this you're trying to avoid this negative. You're trying to avoid another situation where Kevin Durant just leaves you right, right at his peak. But he kind of reframed it as a positive. Like, no, it's more about let's build a team that can stick together because in a league where players are changing teams every single year, that type of competitive advantage or, or that type of uh, whatever you would call that, that type of quality of a team is a competitive advantage as we're seeing with like the Golden State Warriors. The fact yeah. that they're like... Five, I forget what the stat is. It's like five or six guys who have been with their team longer than 10 years and three of them are on the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Like that really matters yeah, at some so. point. And we've just been waiting for those guys to get healthy. We'll see how it works out the rest of this playoffs. But I liked that, mm-hmm. uh, just the, the reframing of that as a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, when discussing luck, I thought it was very interesting that Presti's first example was Memphis, jumping up to two to get John Morant. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was I'm or I'm I'm guessing that that was deliberate that he he chose Memphis as his example for a specific reason. I think that reason is Memphis is young. Why can't we be good like Memphis? Like I think Memphis is going to be the comparison point for OKC over these next couple of years no because doubt. if you go look at the youngest rosters in the league, Memphis is right there. Mm-hmm. They're winning fifty plus games a year. They're in mm-hmm. they're in the playoffs as the two seed. Like. I think it's reasonable for OKC fans to look at that. And also because OKC fans probably feel like we already have our jaw. Like we feel like SGA is a really good player. Mm -hmm. So if we already have that most important piece, why can't we be like Memphis? And, and that's why I, I I mean, I don't know, but just the fact that that was his one example of luck, I think was interesting. Yeah. What I would say in terms of the comparison, like Memphis had three seasons in between making the playoffs and that first season, when they won 22 wins, yeah, the only rookie of note on that team was Dylan Brooks. Yeah, like they really did start at the bottom. They land Triple J in the next one, but they didn't get anyone else. Mm-hmm. No other rookie of note in that draft. So then they win 33 games, and that's when they jump up and get Ja and Brandon Clark. And then it was another year until they got Desmond Bain. I think when you look at Memphis, because they're all so young, it's easy to think that all that happened in like a two-year span. Yeah. But it actually took them several years of adding one or maybe two guys max Mm -hmm. per year that ended up being a part of that core. 
Yeah. So if, if you look at it from the Thunder's perspective, even if you want to take that first year with Shea and CP3, let's say that, like that was like Shea's first year. Mm-hmm. Wait, and then the next year you get Giddy. No, that no. Then you got Poku. Okay, Poku okay. is our Dylan Brooks. Poku's our Dylan Brooks. Yeah. Not saying like they're the same player, but just like that was that was our main rookie of note <laughs> out of that year. Definitely not the same player. But. Definitely not the same player. <laughs> but then you're really bad, and then you get uh, Giddy. Yeah. Who is you know again Triple J? Not Triple J, but in the same range. Yeah. yeah. Triple J was a fourth pick. Giddy was a sixth pick. Yeah. So now we we would be entering our jaw draft. Yeah. Which is when they got really lucky. They jumped from, I thought it was nine to two. He said eight to two. I forget what it was. They went up and got Morant and they get Brandon Clark, who ends up being, you know, a a good role player for them as well. And so if you look at it that way, they are kind of on track because this is the year where they're going to have two lottery picks. They're going to have extra lottery picks. Like they easily could add two players in this draft who end up being part of the core going forward. And one of those could be, a really like blue chip prospect. Yeah, you add someone. You hope that your pick that you get lucky with your pick. I mean, and getting lucky to me is like even staying at four. If you pick at four and twelve, yeah, to me you're in a in a really really good spot. And then if you can possibly get like the sixth or seventh pick in next year's draft, yeah, then to me like you have a very solid foundation. And then if number twelve works out in this draft or 30 or 30 I mean you just never know who's gonna pop and that's kind of what they're betting on is that not only are we gonna pick high in the draft and those guys will work out but like we need somebody else whether it could be Trey Mann it could be JRE it could be you know we don't know who it's gonna be I mean Desmond Bain didn't look like this in his rookie season you know right people thought that and they, and they didn't get him till the fourth year of that rebuilding process, a year yeah. in which they only won 38 games last year. You know, that was when they made the plan. Mm-hmm. And why I think that's just like an interesting comparison. So if we think OKC is about to enter their third draft of this cycle, and this was the draft when Memphis they would got say, jaw. They would say second draft. They would, that's a disrespect to Poku. It disrespect is. To Poku. <laughs> what, what I think is interesting is the year after that, obviously, is when Memphis made it to the plan. And yeah. that's kind of gets back to this philosophical difference about the value of making the play on play in, which obviously Memphis used as a jumping off point to then win 56 games Yeah. versus OKC, who we think in that same situation would pull the ripcord and come back to get one more piece before maybe going the next year. Well, just look at the way that the Memphis Grizzlies are covered ba- in comparison to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like the the way that Memphis looks over at what OKC is doing, and it's not just the media, but everybody in Memphis looks at what OKC is doing in disgust. Like they yeah. think that it's horrific. They think that this that something needs like if anybody in the league is saying something needs to be done about Oklahoma City it's Memphis and part of it is that they've been scarred in the past by the OJ Mayos and Rudy Gays of the world that didn't get them where they needed to go and it was the Marcus All and it was uh, Zach Randolph that eventually helped push them over it wasn't their guys that they took in the top portion of the draft Mike Conley was but everybody else no so they look at what we're doing and it's like, yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, you know, but that was just like your experience. Like we 
had a wonderful experience with this working very well here for yep. over a decade. And we have the general manager that did it. And he would admit that he got extremely lucky that first go around. And, but the thing is, he's doubled down from where he was the first go around to kind of insulate himself with the number of picks that he has to where you may, they may not get, and they most likely will not get a Durant Westbrook Harden team. However, they're going to add three or four rookies to this team next year in the top 34. And are they all going to be good? Probably not. But if two of the two out of the three or two out of the four are good players, like there's already we already think that there's a lot of you know at least decent players on this team, like two very good players of consequence on this team. I mean, if you add another one, then you add one more, and then you have these picks to make trades to add. Like what do we, now? Like you go shopping. Like what do we need? You know, that's that's kind of the idea behind it. Um. Next, next thing I want to bring up is that uh, Presti admitted that OKC does not have a winning culture. So uh, if, you, if you're tweeting out there about culture uh, and, and that OKC has this great winning culture, he said they did not. They have a culture that can win. Yeah. Uh, he made a distinction between a winning culture and a culture that can win, which I I uh, understood the point he was making. Yeah. But I got to say, though, winning culture sounds a lot better than culture that can win. Yeah. <laughs> it needs a rebranding. We need we need to rebrand that other part. I think that so they that- could possibly grow into that. Like, he's also, like, made it clear that, like, no one around here is positive about what's going on. They're, like, hopeful about what's going on, but no one's positive. Yeah. He's like, you have to be completely detached <laughs> from what's going on to be positive about the goings on right now. Like we're losing a ton of games. Like no one's like actually positive. Right. Yeah. No, but I, I get, I liked his general point about the idea of a culture dependent on winning versus a culture that can create winning that, that, that creates the environment where winning can happen. Yeah. It, it, it sounds kind of similar just saying it out loud, but I get the distinction there. Sure. Um, and then just the last thing, what he said about Bayes. Uh, the quote was, I think that's happened with Bayes a little bit. He's talking about how, like, he, he's first of all talking about Poku and then mm-hmm. led into this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people will make harsh judgments 20 games of the season out of 82. Mm-hmm. Then by the end of the season, it's a much different story. And people are ignoring their previous bold takes. Uh, I just think, I mean, that's a that's an admitting, uh, Presti is admitting that he consumes some form of Thunder uh, media, Andrew, is what I got from that. Hello, and that, hello, Sam. That leaves open the possibility that Sam Presti last Friday was sitting in his office listening to you guys talk about the moon oh. for 10 minutes. That that opens up the possibility, the timeline where he had to listen to that. That gives me great joy. That gives me great joy. That was one of my favorite conversations I've had in my whole life, honestly. Like I'm very, very convinced about going to the moon. If anybody wants uh, to talk about it, let me know. I, I really enjoyed when Luke's... <laughs> went uh all right let's try to name them buzz <laughs> buzz and it was over <laughs> um yeah i mean I, I just thought that was interesting i mean i don't have any I, we, we've talked about base plenty i feel like we didn't ignore our bold takes but he might not be talking about us so it doesn't matter uh, could be talking about local radio could be right, talking yeah. about oh i hope he doesn't have to listen to local radio i feel like we're better than local radio come on no no offense <laughs> uh, no offense 
Was it you who was sending pictures? Did were you at a, a remote for Al and Jim? I w- no, no, no. That was I took those. I ripped those from the uh, WWLS uh, Twitter account. Oh, okay. Yeah. Andrew was sending some very funny pictures of Al Ishback <laughs> in like a full tracksuit with a straw hat, which I love. It was amazing. It was incredible. So okay, good. so that that wraps up uh, thoughts on Presley's press conference. I, it was it was very interesting, I, and what I like about it. Obviously, all credit to him for doing two hours of it. Mm-hmm. And a- as a fan who who really loves this kind of stuff, what makes Presti's fun is because as we did with his letter that he actually talked about yeah. after he traded Russ, like it, it's almost like a like a Da Vinci Code thing where yeah. you're like trying to go through it and and get the secret message that he's yeah. sending to the fan base. And the fun part is like you can make it say whatever you want, but but you know that's that's the fun part. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's one of those things that you can go back and listen to, and you're like, oh, I didn't really catch that, or like you can go read it or listen to it again, yeah. and it's like, oh man, like I, I totally missed when he said that. Um, yeah. Also, I think I said this on Monday, but like just the fact that Poku's playing in both summer leagues and that we get Giddy in the Utah summer league, like that's just fun. Like it's going to be great fun for Thunder. Great fun for this summer. So great uh, fun. Real quick, I listened to our preseason. Pod. Oh, let's take a break and then we'll go to the preseason okay. predictions. All right, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we're back after that quick break. Let's let's uh, let's take a look back, Al, at some preseason thoughts and predictions. Yeah, so I listened to our preseason pod, which was right before the Jazz game. It was right after they had gotten blown out in a preseason game against the Milwaukee Bucks, yeah. and I had totally forgotten about that, and that, that social was media so, was in an uproar already about how bad OKC so was. so bad. Yeah, that was really, really bad. Um, okay, my bold takes. Memphis will be a top six seed, which in retrospect seems like a bell pepper take, but at the time, you gave it a habanero rating. It was spicy. Next, uh, which I feel great about that one. Next, uh, <laughs> Charlotte will have a bottom five record, which you did give a Carolina Reaper. Did not turn out uh, yeah. as I wanted. Yeah. Oh, I still have major questions about Charlotte. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. First significant player to be traded, Yusuf Nurkic. Got that one wrong, although I did predict that Portland would get off to a bad start. Yeah. So that's that's a little something. That's a close, a little close. M- OKC predictions. Josh Giddey will lead OKC in double-doubles. You gave that bell pepper. He did. Yeah. He had 16, Bays had seven. Yeah, it's kind of easy. Easy, but, you know, I banked it. I banked it. I banked the bell pepper. Yeah, a little layup. Okay, the Thunder will have one player with a PER greater than 15, which you gave Carolina Reaper. Okay, they ended up having four, but 
Okay. The four were SGA, yeah. Muscala, mm. Roby, mm. and Jalen Horde. Yeah. Like I, I feel like I was I was on track. Yeah, you're on track. I was but... on track. The fact that no non-big man other than Shea had a PER over 15 is probably what I should have said. Because bigs like get a PER of 15 automatically. I was gonna almost. say those guys and the limited minutes that they had. It's like okay, sure. Yeah. Um, and then my final one was Lou Dort will shoot a better percentage from three than Kenrich Williams, which he only gave a jalapeno, and it didn't even turn out to be true. <laughs> Lou Dort finished at 33.2, and Kenrich finished at 33.9. Wow. I missed by 0.7%. Wow. Ouch. Uh, then we gave out some Thunder superlatives. Uh-huh. Now, prospect with most potential in the preseason, we both picked Giddy. Future Nick Collison, I went with JRE. You went with Kenrich, already on that bandwagon. Most overrated yeah. by the fan base, we both picked Poku. Yeah. Which I think that makes sense. I think we've all most, I think we've all come down from the Poku cloud a little bit. We have. Uh most underrated by the fan base. I went with Isaiah Roby. Mm. You went with Ty Jerome. Yeah, I don't feel good about either one of those. I know. Who who would have been I don't even know who I maybe I mean Maybe like Trey at that point, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Player that contender fan bases put into the trade machine the most, which in retrospect is obvious. Like it was Kenrich. Like yeah. he yeah. was all over the place. Yeah. I went with SGA. You went with Dort. So I don't feel yeah. like there was a ton of, I mean, there was a little Dort conversation. There's some Dort combos. Yeah. Uh, Moses Brown award, which was the young player that will most split the fan base. We mm-hmm. both went with Bays. I mm-hmm. feel like nailed that. Nailed it. Oh my gosh. There's still some Bays lovers out there and God bless them. Oh, well, one of them, Sam Presti. Sure. <laughs> Young player most likely to be traded. I went with Ty Jerome. You went with Bays. Was there even a... Did, were there any trades this year? No. Did I forget one? Okay. Uh, Justin Jackson Award, which was player most likely to hit a game-winning shot and not be on the team next season. <laughs> which you'd probably go with Roby's three over Portland as like the closest that's, yeah, that's to a, that. Yeah. That's the closest approximation to that. Yeah. And you, you mentioned him and I immediately shot it down and said, no, it's going to be Gabriel deck. He's going to <laughs> knock us from the third best odds to the fourth best odds. <sighs> like we were on the right track. And then you, you, you chose Derek favors. Hey, uh, faves. <laughs> and then the one that I put on Twitter, the Svee Dunk Award, which is like, what is the skill that a player is going to randomly mm-hmm. display this season? I went with Teo dunking, becoming a dunker. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know how many dunks he had this year? Off the top of your head, what would you guess? One. I don't know. Yes, he had one. Yeah. Uh, you said not only will Roby become a shooter, you said he'll take two a game and hit 44%, which is basically exactly what he did. So. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. That is dumb luck. I don't even... I don't even know where that came from. I couldn't have even told you what that prediction was, but it was... Well, that, that was your most impressive uh, prediction. Dead and on. I posted Jay. I mean, Jay had a back-to-back of Portland not making the playoffs, like not even being a 10th seed, and yeah. then the Timberwolves being exactly the 7th seed. He did that in the span of 20 seconds. Very impressive. Unbelievable. Way to go, Jay. Way to go, Jay. Um, okay, so now we can move on to uh, some questions. All right, let's take another quick break, and then we will have some Twitter questions. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals 
for your team faster and for free. When it was time for me to find a job, I went right to LinkedIn Jobs. They helped me find the right employer, and it was, man, very, very easy process. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash dunk. That's linkedin.com slash dunk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we're back from that quick break. We've got 47 questions out to get through. <laughs> All right. So buckle up. Here we go. Buckle up. Um, first question is from Simon Eat Dog. Oh, no. Or Simon at Dog. I don't know which one. Um, mm. In Sam's exit interview, he mentioned their interest in Aaron Wiggins after his mature interview. What are your thoughts on the heavy emphasis on personality versus skill in terms of draft, draft prospects? Seems like the Thunder values one culture fit, then basketball ability. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a slightly weird quote that he was like, how old is this guy, 21 or 51? Yeah. I was like, well, I hope he's not 51. <laughs> what if you drafted a 51-year-old? That'd be, <laughs> oh, no. that'd be terrible. <laughs> he's... he's- walking in on some kind of like he's taking all his vitamins i don't know i so one like you're picking so late in the draft i know you're looking i think that's the most important point you're looking for anything like does anything like pique my interest about any of these guys i mean it doesn't that one i'm just i don't know they do look for culture fit there's no doubt about it that they looked for like the right kind of guys one I don't think you want to hit on a guy that's going to want to leave here. You know, I think that they're, that they have, they want to stay away from guys like that. Um, And two, like they are trying to build like a, a, um, a hopeful environment, like within the team and a competitive environment. And like, you need just like good people to help do that, to propel it. So I think that was part of it. And like, the thing about Aaron Wiggins, like Aaron Wiggins, is pretty good too, and was pretty good at Maryland. So it's it's not crazy, and I don't I don't think that it's I don't think it's like number one, like you have to be this, and then if you have basketball skill, great, you know. 
Like, yeah. Also, like the stories that come out from the draft process are usually more along these lines. Like uh, the one I think about off the top of my head is the Warriors taking James Wiseman. And like the only story that really comes out from that is how I think it was the owner, like it was either Lakeub or Bob Myers talked about how he wore a suit to yeah. the dinner conversation and how that was such a big deal. And of course, Warriors fans have taken that to mean that's the only reason they drafted James Wiseman, right. which probably isn't the case, but that's just the story that came out. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the same way here, like we're talking about, you know, it was the 55th pick or whatever. Like, is it that interesting to say like, Oh yeah, he was really good in workouts. Like, like yeah. he's, it, it's, it's much, it's just much more interesting to give like a human personal story when talking about the draft process yeah. than saying like, Oh, he was just really great in workouts. So like, that's going to stick in your mind more. Well, so I, I don't, I don't look at that one story as like, this is our entire draft philosophy. Yeah. Well, and to, and to Sam's credit, like he was, he is incredibly mature. And like gives great answers. He does. He's he's a very smart guy. Like he really is. And like you look at the rest of the draft too. It's like, did they miss on anybody? Like, are you are you sick to your stomach that didn't take Jericho Sims or, I mean, Yurgos, who we have on our team now, was the 60th pick in the draft. It's like, oh, was he really? You're at, you're at 55. Like like yeah. don't like you're looking for anything, at that point, you know. Luca Garza's gone, guys. You got to go find somebody else. Um, Luca <laughs> Garza <laughs> missed our shot. We didn't even have a chance to take him. Um, all right. We're going to have to move at a swifter pace than this. Um, at Chud, OKC. This is uh, L-Man's, L-Man's brother. How does the bonus money work out for cut players, 10-day guys, and two-way guys? Um, it depends on, I think, how long you've been with the team. So guys that were with the team for a long time, they do they are going to get a cut. It's all decided by the the players' association. So like they get to decide how that's distributed with those particular guys. I don't know if ten day ten day guys that were only here for ten days if they get any of it. I don't know. Um, or like the hardship exception guys, I'm not sure. But the guys that were here, like I bet you, like Gabby Deck's going to get a check. He's going to get some kind of cut, just like this random check mailed to his house. Like that's, that's going to, that's going to happen. So, uh, but it's all decided by the players association. So it's a little murky on like how much they get, but they, those guys will get something. Um, at Cade Kolb, uh, if we ended up at six and 12, who are your picks here? Um, so for me, it's, it's still pretty early on. Like I don't have like definitively who I would pick, but we can, we can talk about the guys who we'd like. Um, like AJ Griffin's like an easy one for me. Like he checks a lot of boxes. Like he's very young. He's got a ton of upside shooter on the wing. Like they need those kind of, those kind of players. So like he's an easy one. And then at 12, mm-hmm. like if Dyson Daniels is still there, I like him. I like Jeremy Sohan. I like Tari Eason. I like Jalen Duran if he falls that far. Like there's a lot of guys I like in that range. Yeah, I think at six, like, you just want to take, uh, like, I, I want the guy with high upside. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be some options there. Like, yeah. we still don't know what's going on with Shaden Sharp, but gosh, have you follow, um, have you been following that at all on Twitter? Just a little bit. The UK I, I people see. are going nuts. Like, they're absolutely they're losing their their minds right now. <laughs> it is it is just pandemonium. It's it's a lot. It, I compared it last night to 
like how the Thunder fans were before Paul George declared. Yeah, like yeah. not declared before he decided what he was going to do in free agency. It it feels right. like that to them, where they're looking for any. So they're watching these clips like he's wearing blue shoes, like he but he's going to stay. You know, <laughs> people are people are losing it right now. Um, I'm just looking at the Tankathon mock draft, uh, which of course this has OKC at four, but yeah, they have Keegan Murray going to the Pacers, and man, does that feel it perfect. feels oh that is so Pacers like that. Good is- Lord, I, I hadn't even. That thought hadn't crossed my mind yet, but now I see it, and it's just like, oh yeah, Keegan Murray, Keegan Murray, Miles Turner is like the most Pacers lineup ever, and it's actually like pretty great for them. You had those two yeah. in Halliburton, who are like that's that's great. Like that's a ton of shooting for them. Like that's actually that fits like a glove. That's perfect. Yeah, uh, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, in terms of pick twelve, I don't really have a strong opinion yeah. as of right now. I still if. If Dern falls to twelve, like I still don't feel like we have a good sense after the top. Like I don't know if you want to go down to seven. If if we think Sharp is going to be in it, like mm-hmm. outside of the top six or seven, it doesn't seem like it's very clear. Like what the rankings are. Yeah, There's going to be not. some player in that next group who is going to be available at twelve that people will be surprised that they are there. Yeah, and so I'm interested to see who that ends up being. Like like right now. Tankathon's mock draft has Jalen Duran in that spot, and yeah. and how I feel right now, that does feel like a drop. Yeah, Jalen Duran. I think it'd feel like, very good if, like, you ended up with AJ Griffin and Jalen Duran. You're like, oh, okay, that's. I mean, that that at least I, I would feel pretty good about that. Yeah, even if I mean, you'd obviously feel way better if they were getting Ivy or Paulo or Jay, yeah. But like, uh, but the other guy I'll throw in there is Patrick Baldwin Jr., who still hasn't announced and. He is like, I mean, yeah. if you want to look at, at stats or even film, like there's some, there's some toxic. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's gross. It is it's, gross. You'd rather it's have bad. 30. Yeah. But I'm betting on the fact that this guy was like a top five recruit, yeah. was offered by Duke, which does not happen to everyone. Yeah. And looking at what happened with Zaire Williams last year. Yeah. And obviously, the COVID thing wasn't as big this year as it was the previous year when Zaire went through it. Yeah. But there are those additional factors, like the fact that he stayed and played with his dad, who was now fired mm-hmm. from that university. Yeah. They it's didn't awkward. have a, a just like decent team to put around him. Yeah. I would rather take a risk on a guy like that at 12, which would feel very like taking Zaire Williams at 10 last year for Memphis. Yeah, yeah it would. It was also like the BJ Boston comp where maybe he maybe he's available at 34. Yeah. So you know. th- that's obviously that's like a, a a shot in the dark and and it seem it may seem outlandish to some people like Tankathon has him going at 25. Yeah. I've seen other places where he's not going until like the second. Yeah. But that seems he hasn't declared yet and I bet if he declares it'll be because someone promised him in that like mid lottery or late lottery range. Yeah. Also shout out to Usman Jang who is anywhere from a lottery pick to the second round, depending on who is ranking him. You know, yeah. For for whatever yeah, for reason, sure. ESPN is uh, boosting his draft stock <laughs> with with Most their with their assessment of him. But he's a, he's at least a very interesting player. He had a he's had like a nice like end of his season, but before that, a horrific year where he did not play well at all. But his highlights look nice. Um, so that one you have to, you know, it's like a little bit like T. Ferg, where it's like, all right, the year wasn't good, but we like what we we see athletically, and 
you know, his skill wise, like we like it. Um, so yeah. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Yeduro Ridovic. He says, rank these four, Josh Giddy, Miles Bridges, Mikhail Bridges, Tyrese Halliburton. Um, those are such different players. Yeah, it's a tough one because their skill sets are all very, very different. Yeah. I mean, as far as like, if you're like ranking like the future of like what they can be, I think you probably put like Josh, Halliburton, Miles, McHale. But if you're ranking like today, like what they are today, it's like, Mikhail, Miles, Tyrese, Josh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The only one, yeah, I would probably, Giddy or Halliburton, I honestly don't have a strong opinion. I mean, I, obviously, I like Giddy more because I've watched him, but I'm open to the idea that there are people that think Halliburton is better than Giddy. Sure. And I'm not going to be offended by that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would probably go Mikhail over Miles long term. Um, but Mikhail, again, is one of those guys who's like in a system where, he's slowly been growing his offensive role. Mm -hmm. And if he was on another team, maybe that process would be sped up a little bit and we'd feel differently about him. Um, obviously, you would love to have someone like Mikhail Bridges on your team, mm -hmm. especially as the Thunder. Mm -hmm. What I would give for someone who could shoot and defend, do both. That would be great. That would be great. How nice would that be? That's where I like the A.J. Griffin pick. He could be Mikhail Bridges-esque at the NBA level and yeah. hopefully a better shooter. And higher volume shooter, but we'll see. Uh, Chatamus wants to know Presty mentioned players excelling or getting left behind. Who are players mm. that you see excelling, and who are those you see that will get left behind? Kirk Cameron, Kirk, Kirk Cameron, yeah, Kirk Cameron. Um, uh, I mean, I, th I see Teo getting left behind at some point. Um, yeah, that feels like the easiest one just because he, he, it still feels like he has so much ground to make up. If he was on a team where he was like, it was a good team yeah. that just took him with like their late first and he's yeah. really the only young player on their team, you'd feel a lot better about his future with that team. Yeah. Whereas with the Thunder, it just feels like with a new crop of guys coming in and the fact that this team already has a ton of guards that you want to see play mm -hmm. with SGA, Giddy, Trey, and Dort. It's just hard to to figure out the path for Teo on this particular team. Yeah. So that yeah, that's an easy one. I mean, so if the Thunder draft, let's say they get Jabari Smith and they get Tar Eason or something, where you get like these two forwards, it's gonna yeah. it the the interesting like excelling or left behind battle to me then is is it Shea or not Shea, I'm sorry. Baisley, <laughs> is it Shea? Does Shea get left behind? No, is it Baisley or JRE? Yeah, because yeah. eventually, like, there's not going to be enough spots at the forward spot for those guys, and and that's where Baze's upcoming contract comes into play. Like, exactly. you have to make a decision on Baze a lot quicker than you have to make on JRE. So you have to feel really good about Baze by the and end. They of might, next like, year. they might, they might get, they might. I mean, if if he can hit a corner three, like, that's what he's missing. That's the swing skill for him, and it's not crazy that he develops that next year and he's back to where he was in year one. And if he's that guy who can be a great shot blocker, he doesn't foul a lot. He can defend multiple positions. I think you can see a world where it's like, yeah, we, I guess we have to choose Baisley and we've got to let Jeremiah go, or we got to find a trade for Jeremiah. Um, 
I would bet on it going the other way because of the contract situation and because I'm not a huge believer in Baisley's corner three. Um, and, like, personality-wise, I think – not that Baisley, like, doesn't fit, but, like, Jeremiah's fit is, like, way more seamless to me. Like, I think that he's, in a lot of ways, a lot easier fit. Um, but that, that to me, would be one – that that could be a battle, you know, when it comes down to it between those two. Because I don't think if you've got, like, your starting forward, like, who's going to win the backup position, I think is very, very interesting. Like, if you have both of those guys going full bore. Um, yeah. I could see Aaron Wiggins getting left behind. See, uh, I, I could almost see him as a guy who could excel just because, like, he already is older and has the maturity, but he has the bonus of being on this – super cheap deal yeah so he's gonna he has the long runway if the team wants it and he already has like the personality and the maturity that's going to give him a leg up on some of the younger guys so i could see him i could see his path going forward being easier than someone like bays who you got to make a decision on like very soon he's got to hit shots though yeah for sure like he's got to hit his three i mean everyone on this team has to hit shots yeah beat crutchy is another one that's oh he hit shots he's got to hit shots you know, he did at the end of the last season. He ended up at 32.7% from three. Um, I, Roby is another one. Like, even though he did hit 44% from three, I don't think that anybody's out here saying, like, he's a keeper. Lindy Waters, like, obviously, like, all these end of the roster guys are going to have to, like, make a jump this summer. Like, this summer is not only important for Josh and uh, – Trey and those guys that are like the obvious ones, but like it's a giant summer for like Lindy Waters and like can he make it as an NBA guy? You know, yeah. he's at almost six threes at thirty six percent. That's good. That's got to be six threes on thirty nine percent. You know, if he wants to make it, and he's got the size, he's got he's got the shot. Like, can he do that? Um, and then Poku too. Like Poku is very very young. But this is his first season to shoot over forty percent. <laughs> he's gotta, he's gotta do better than that. So I think the list is long, actually, of guys that could get left behind. Just because if you bring in four rookies and then you bring in three the next year, that's seven slots. Like they don't have close to that right now. Seven slots. So who's gonna go? Like somebody's gonna have to go. Um, let's see. At Patrick Sievert wants to know, please define generational talent as you use it. We clearly have a very different we clearly have very different definitions. Um I think there's two types. There's like the generational talent in terms of a draft prospect, like Anthony Davis. The guys where like you know in January that like this guy is going to be the number one pick. There's zero question about it. Everyone knows it. Mm-hmm. So, like, Anthony Davis, LeBron, obviously. Um, I'd, I'd put Zion in there, even though he wasn't that coming into his college season. By, like, January, everyone knew was mm-hmm. Zion. So there's, like, that type of generational talent. And then there's a generational talent that kind of reveals itself in their first couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Russ, you know, would fall into that, or, or Harden would fall into that. Yeah, where they weren't thought that way going into the draft process, but within like four to five years, you're like, this guy is on another level from from what we thought. Yeah, 
Um, so, so I don't know. Th- those are like the two type when, when I think of generational talent and obviously like going into this draft, there isn't like the generational talent in terms of the draft prospect, yeah, there's but that doesn't mean that one. someone from this draft couldn't become a generational talent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it would take an outlier, but like Giannis was a generational talent in a draft that people thought was bad. And by the way, yeah. like Sam said in his press conference that he likes this draft. That he thinks Which, this, he thinks this draft is pretty good. That's what you say when you have four top thirty-four picks and you're trying to move up. Obviously, I guess. I mean, you could posture it either way. Well, why would you? What, what's the benefit of you saying that it's good for yourself? Like, why would you tell the truth about what you actually thought about the draft? You're always going to say it's good. Why would you say it's bad? Or why would you say it's meh? Because they have four to, picks. This, they have a ton of draft. They have more draft capital in this draft than any other team. Of course, he's going to say this it's draft good. is okay. I mean, I guess you could posture it that you don't think the draft is that great. So, like, you think like, oh, the ninth pick is usually it's not worth that much, and you're like, the difference between nine and twelve is not that much, but you might think that it is. And then you're like, yeah, don't worry about it. Whoever's at nine, you know, Sacramento, yeah. don't sweat it. You're calling me anyways to to ask what I think about the trade. So let's uh did you see that? No. There was an article that said that the owner of the Sacramento Kings calls Sam Presti before he makes it any sort of deal to ask him what he thinks about it. Nah. Yes. What well, where was that? I can't remember who released it, but I read it. And they said that he calls other general managers to ask. Monty McNair does? Not Monty, the owner. Um, oh, Vivek? Vivek, yeah. Vivek will call and ask other GMs <laughs> what they think about certain That's trades. That's and I like that. they said specifically he will call Sam. <laughs> so. so that might be the reason why the Kings haven't been good, if Sam has been sabotaging them for a decade. Hey, yeah. Do I think that you should bring in Rajon Rondo and Marco Bellinelli? Yes, I do. Yes. yes. Go get him. Go get him, Vivek. Yeah, that's funny. Um, Panicked Waddle wants to know, which scenario would you choose? The Thunder are guaranteed to get the second pick, but Houston gets the first pick. Or, number two, no guarantees. Just let the lottery play out. I mean, g- give me the second pick. I, the second I don't. Pick. Y- yeah. You can't worry about Houston. And, in fact, if you want that Houston pick to be – good you want them to get better sooner because if they're bad again next year which i actually think is going to be the case yeah and they add another top five pick and so now they have green let's say they get chet and then they add another top five pick in next year's draft yeah like their talent base is going to be absolutely loaded in terms of blue chip prospects yeah so i would rather them get a better player this year start to work their way toward mediocrity maybe end up at the eight to twelve range next year yeah and then you feel better about that pick the following year. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Do you think that 12 and 30, this is from Austin Woolisher. Do you think, Williger, Williger, uh, do you think that 12 and 30 would be enough to get into the top 10? If so, how high would you? No, it's not. That 30th pick is not worth a whole lot. There, it's not enough to, to push you that much higher, in my opinion. Yeah, although I did, I did want to bring up, um, and a down to dunk listener had had sent this to me, and it's something I'd been thinking about with the Pelicans' win, 
obviously the team that got screwed there was Portland. Yeah. And Portland had this idea that they were going to trade that Pelicans pick for Jeremy Grant. And listening to people who know things, it almost seemed like it was a done deal for this summer. So if you're the Blazers, and let's say you end up not jumping up, and you end up at like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Right now they have the six best odds. Mm-hmm. It seems very reasonable for the Thunder to be like, what if we traded you the 12th pick and one or two other first-round picks so that you can make some of these deals that you want to? Yeah. Or what if Portland jumps up to like three Yeah. and OKC's at six and 12? Uh-huh. Would they potentially do that? Because in that scenario, now Portland gets to like go back in the time machine they end up where they should have ended up based on their odds, and they get the 12th pick so that they can make the Jeremy Grant trade. I have no idea if Portland would be open to something like that. Personally, I would just take whoever you like at number three. Mm-hmm. But it would allow them to like reverse time and get those two lottery picks back. And if you're the Thunder and you could jump into the top three and you like one of those three big guys, like that would be very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are there are definitely possibilities within within this draft because I do think that it's like very open ended like I I'll bet you that you know you know the 15 teams or 14 teams in the lottery there might be there's I think there'll be a wild variation on who thinks who's the best player you know yeah for sure I think some teams will have Ivy as number 1 I think some teams will have Chet number 1 some teams will have I think I think it's I think it's just a really interesting draft that I think that there there could be and probably will be some movement um, at Mendenhall ten. Assuming SGA and Giddy are the only players with guaranteed spots in Presti's plan, Dort's extension hasn't even been discussed yet, according to Presti. What must a rookie or a roster player show in order to get in the plan? I mean, what separates SGA and Giddy from all of these other guys is like how they came into the league. Like the, the Giddy was drafted as the sixth player in a draft. Shea was drafted, I think at 11. Yeah. Like it's just a huge gulf between them. Like their, their, their value as just a, a prospect versus these other guys. Mm-hmm. So that's what gives them the leg up. So obviously whoever they draft at six and 12 is going to have that similar type of cachet as SGA and Giddy. And yeah. you're going, I think as a team, you're one, you're committed to those guys for way longer mm-hmm. and you're committed at more money versus someone taking at 30 or especially in the second round. So for someone coming in, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's finding what role makes sense around Shea and Giddy. Mm-hmm. Because if those guys really are locked in as the cornerstone pieces of this franchise, that means that the player who's coming in has to figure out their role with those guys in some way. Yeah. Or you're a, a top level talent, you know, and you have to figure out how those three will work together. I mean, yeah. it's at this point they're they're looking for a guy like can they be a top 20 player in the league? Like that's how you like for sure get yourself cemented as a part of this plan. Um because I think the rest of the roster is pretty fluid from here. Like I wouldn't lock in anybody else just because they're going to be looking for specific needs with those two guys. And like, to me, the specific need that is not on the roster today is shooting. Like they need like a knockdown high volume shooter on the wing. 
And if you don't have that with those two, I'm not sure how like actually competitive you can be. Um, to me, that's like the number one thing that they're lacking as, and also like a big, a big that's versatile and that can do a lot of things. I think that's what they're looking for. Uh, so that's, I mean, those are the things that they need and they don't have either one of those things on the roster right now. They have a lot of development pieces around these guys, but we don't know who's going to work out. Like hopefully, like hopefully it's just Trey. Like it'd be great if Trey was the guy that shot seven threes and was a 40% three-point shooter next to those guys it doesn't have to be like a big wing ideally it's a big wing but yeah if it's if it's another guard i think that that's fine too i think people will be surprised how differently they think of this team after this draft because when you bring in two guys who are going to be taken exactly at six and twelve yeah like you are going to latch on to those guys in the way that we've latched on to gideon shea to the point where all of a sudden, the way you feel about the guys who are like eight through fourteen is going to tra- change drastically. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, all those players are going to seem like much more—I uh, don't know—expendable. What what, what, expendable. Yes, yes, that's what word I was looking for. Yeah. Then they seem right now. I mean, all okay. the, the you're going to have like a mind shift yeah. after this after this draft when we start looking at the roster. Yeah. And I think outside of those four, Shea Giddy six and twelve. Like I, I would like Trey is that next guy for me who mm-hmm. feels like he's kind of right there. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, like at that point, like I, I don't know how much I'm really worried about it because at that point I'm going to feel like, Oh, we have five guys that I really like. Yeah. Yeah. This, everything is going to shift after you see what, the, what this team is in summer league in Utah and in Vegas, our conversations are going to be drastically different. Yeah. They're going to be drastically different. Uh, let's see. Um, a lot of like, who do you like at this spot? Who do you like at that spot? Who do you like? Uh, at Ron Lennon says any possibility OKC trades to get an above average center this off season? No. They'll select someone in the draft if they like them at center. And if not, they'll play with the guys they have. Like they're, they're, they're not going to get a free agent or make a trade this summer that is of consequence. Like that's not going to happen. They they're going to let if they're going to make their roster better, it's going to be through the draft or through internal development. Period. Like the end. Like we don't need to go on Lowry Markin and watch again. You know, like if people are if people are doing that and they're like, "Oh, there's a restricted free agent. Like we've got this much money to spend." Let's, I, I, I really hope that OKC signs them. Oh, Bleacher Report has that the Thunder are interested. Oh my gosh, like we, we got to. I hope that something happens. You know, I'm watching, I'm waking up every morning and checking Larry Markin and tweets. Like, stop, don't. It's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be Mitchell Robinson because we, we already there was already a report Lord. that OKC was interested, which I don't believe in. Yeah, don't um, buy into the Mitchell Robinson crap. Like that, what, who I don't care who reports it. What it, like it's not that's not gonna happen. The end of the story, that won't happen. It will not. Not going to happen. And, it all, and especially for like that type of a player. Now, like yeah. if the DeAndre Ayton thing blows up, like I'll understand why people want to talk about that. Yeah. But that's a much different conversation from let's just get an above average center, yes. which maybe, maybe you think Mitchell Robinson falls in that or not. 
because that, then it's like, well, what's the point? If, if you're not trading for a guy who has the potential to be an all-star, which Mitchell Robinson does not, no. what's the point? You have all these picks, and now you're just going to give a huge contract to a guy who's above average, and you're going to have to play him 30 minutes a night? Yeah, no way. Which no wipes way. out all this playing time for all these picks that you have coming in? Like, if they're going to make a trade, it has to be for a guy. If you got the second pick, and DeAndre Ayton's agent came to you and said, hey, listen, we love what you're building here. Aiden loves Gideon Shea and thinks that he can progress his career into his 30s and that Chris Paul's almost done and he wants he's wanting to get ahead of the curve and get wow. out. Wow, 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 wow. And this is, this is, we know that spicy. we know that the Suns won't match a max. Will you guys max yeah. out Aiden? The answer is 100% yes. You would do that. But newsflash that's not happening. <laughs> like that's not going to happen. But if that situation just plopped in the Thunder's lap and you could have DeAndre Ayton for free and you don't have to give up anything and you get to keep all your assets, you get to keep everything. And a team of like Ayton, Jabari, Giddy, Trey, Dort, SGA, like that's okay. That's a talent base. Like that's a talent base enough to say, yes, let's go. And also, it wouldn't happen for nothing because he's still a restricted free agent. So if it's going to happen, it'll be as a sign and trade. And you're going to have to if give they up don't, a lot. It'll be- if they don't match. Like, they could not. I mean, they could. Oh. The Thunder could sign the off. They could sign an, he could sign an off sheet with the Thunder and then. That would be truly wild. Yeah. And they, and they not match because they don't want to sign a max contract. Like there's. Like, yeah. That's, that, that would be dumb. But if, if, they, if it ever came to a sign and trade, though, it would be more. It would cost more than like the Porzingis deal, which that was two no future first and a young player in Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah, there's no doubt. But yes, like the answer, like if something weird and wild popped up, like that's a part of like why Sam is saying, listen, I'm not watching the clock. I'm not putting a date on this. And it's and it's not only for kicking the can down the road, which I think is really what that means, but it's like we're open to just some great player saying, we will love what you're building here. I want to come play for you. Like, yes, but I don't think they're under the impression that something like that's going to happen. Like that's, it's not going to happen. But w- if, if that did happen and let's say just something weird happened and Deandre Aiden loved eating at the mule or something here in Oklahoma city, then it's like, all right, wow. you get to, you get to live here and you know, you can live in downtown Edmond and eat, at the mule all you want, man. Go for it. Um, it's not going to happen, though. But, yeah, the answer is yes. <laughs> if that were to happen like that, that were that would be great. That would be wonderful. Aiden would be awesome with those guys. He'd be incredible. But don't, do not get your hopes up on that. Um, okay, we'll stop there. Long pod. Oh, one more. One more. Uh, okay. Speaking of endorsement deals, how does how do companies how have not they lined up for Anthony Edwards yet? I'm oh watching Zach Levine on that Mountain Dew commercial, where he's just like personal, like just dead, <laughs> just reading off the lines. I know Anthony Edwards could do better than that. Yeah, and he's, Edwards, he's he should, the best. He should yeah. have multiple endorsement deals. By he's now. the best. Uh, Ryan Schwartzman wants to know top five board game recommendations. Um, when your favorite game is Pandemic? Uh, so I've never played Pandemic, um, but I believe it's a uh, cooperative game. So you're not you know, directly going against 
mm-hmm. other people. You know, you're working together. You're working together, Andrew. Okay. So in that case, if I'm just basing on cooperative games, cooperative games I like, Spirit Island. Mm-hmm. Spirit Island, it throws the genre, it turns it on its head, Andrew. <laughs> Instead of playing the colonizers, as you typically do in a lot of video games, you're playing the the spirits of an island who are defending against the invasion, wow. and you're doing that cooperatively. Uh, and the other game, I really like Aeon's End. Now, both mm. of those games are pretty heavy. Aeon's End is also a co-op game that's very fun. These are, these are much heavier games than Pandemic, but I really like them. You might like them but I don't know a lot about Pandemic beyond that, other than it's a co-op game. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, and Alex underscore Bullerjack wants to know, what's your favorite breakfast meat? Breakfast meat. So, like, bacon, sausage. What's another? Be- uh, Canadian bacon Canadian would be, bacon. I guess, be an option. Um, what's the, there... the Spanish meat? The Mexican meat? Uh, chorizo. Chorizo, yeah. Chorizo's good. If if you pick sausage, you got to say in what form. Do you like it as link or patty? Yeah, I wouldn't pick sausage. Um, probably ba- like a really good thick cut bacon. It's really tough to beat. Hmm. Steak. Hoopsock sixty nine says steak. Yeah. You have a breakfast steak. steak. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll go sausage patty. I like things that you can put on a sandwich, and yeah. so the other option would be bacon. Um, but I'll, I'll I'll go sausage patty. Yeah, I'll say just a nice thick cut bacon. It's tough to beat. Uh, okay. Uh, thanks so much for listening to our show. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll be back on Friday with another episode of. I mean, maybe we're talking about the moon again on Friday. Who knows? Who knows? It's the off season, but more draft content coming to you guys here. Uh, in the coming weeks, we have the draft lottery less than a month away now, Al. We, will, we will know where the Thunder are picking. And I feel just nervous even saying those words. Uh, thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys again on Friday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.